Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Amen, amen, amen. Church, you may grab your seats, grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 2 this morning. Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Continue our series by faith. And we're continuing to focus on faith is the only thing that matters, period. And so hopefully you're starting to get that by faith alone. And so as we get started, as you're finding your way to Galatians chapter 2, New Testament, user table contents, that may be helpful. We're going to be starting in verse 11. But I'm wondering, how does it feel to gather with a bunch of hypocrites? How do you feel about that? I mean, I wonder if that's true. That is the primary knock against people, excuse for people not going to church. Why would I go there? It's a bunch of hypocrites. Have you heard that? Anybody heard that? Is that just me? All the time. Is that true? That's what we're really going to dig into this morning. If you're taking notes, you can title this sermon, Are You a Hypocrite? Are You a Hypocrite? Galatians 2, starting in verse 11, says this. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Quick recap, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to Galatian church. Against what the Galatian church has really fallen uh, into temptation to follow is a very legalistic way of faith. You must do these things and believe. And he's pointing out there was an instance when Cephas, Peter, fell into the same kind of scenario, hypocrisy. And so this word hypocrisy means um, playing a part, acting, pretending to be something that you're not, like an actor would in a movie. And so what was Peter's activity of hypocrisy? Well, specifically, it was favoritism. Like we saw last week, this favoritism, treating a group of people as less than. Romans 2.11 says, for there is no favoritism with God. That's sin. But it leads to a larger level of hypocrisy. That's the bigger issue. Peter was acting unchristian. So it begs the definition, what's a Christian? A follower of Christ. That means... To live like Christ lived, to do what Christ did. Jesus' invitation to follow him was to live like he lived. It becomes more clear in Luke 9, 23. But Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Meaning, everything is secondary in following Jesus. Everything. Your spouse, your kids, your career, your hobbies, your passions, everything is secondary to following Jesus. And Peter had fallen into the trap of fearing people's opinions over following Jesus. Peter was beginning to act a lot like the religious leaders whom he had once been criticized by while following Jesus. And what we see in Jesus' life that there was never a people that he considered less than for salvation. In Mark chapter 2, we see this account. When Jesus came 
to the house of Levi, known as Matthew, just chief tax collector. And tax collectors were like the, the sinners of the sinners. Like they were the traitors that were trading, right, giving themselves away to the Roman government, betraying their own people, and often skimming some off the top for themselves. So they were just looked down upon for every single reason you could think of by the Jewish people. They were hated. And so there's Levi. Jesus goes and spends time at Levi's house and says many other tax collectors were there and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who were following him. And it says, when the scribes who were Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he told them, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. The point is, with Jesus in his life, every account that we have, he always went to the outcast, to the hopeless, to the godless. He sums up his mission in Luke 19.10. Jesus says, talking about himself, the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Which goes hand in hand with probably the most popular verse in the entirety of the Bible, John 3.16. When Jesus says, for God so loved the world in this way. And so my question is, stop there, who's the world? It's everyone who's ever been created in God's image, who's everyone, who's ever lived, past, present, future, the world. He says, God so loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son, talk about himself, so that everyone, that's a lot of people, right? Everyone, think about the everyone's around you, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So the question is, how would Jesus give the opportunity for eternal life to everybody? Two ways. Number one, through suffering. Suffering. Jesus went to the cross to pay for our sins, and on the cross, he uses the word tetelestai. It is finished, meaning paid in full. It was in that day and time, it was stamped on receipts. When you owed a tax, and it was finally paid off, it'd be stamped tetelestai, paid in full. So Jesus on the cross says, it is finished to tell us that. Meaning your sins, my sins, past, present, and future, for the world has been paid in full and applied for everyone who would believe. So number one, through suffering. Number two, through sending. Through sending. Jesus said to all who would follow him, first his disciples and the disciples that disciples would make, in Mark 16, 15, go into all the world, all people and places, and preach the gospel. So by suffering and by sending to go and preach the gospel, what we see following this time was ignited the largest movement of God in human history. The followers of Jesus would go sharing the gospel with everyone without favoritism, risking social status and standing, resisting complacency and comfort, I quote this a lot. It's my favorite quote from my favorite movie, The Greatest Showman. Just love it. I only like musicals, but I like that movie. P.T. Barnum, the enemy, comfort is the greatest enemy of progress. Comfort is the enemy of progress. Isn't that true? Isn't that a great Christian quote, if it was one? If we think about what's hampering the progress of the gospel is our comfort. 
one of my favorite movements of God throughout history. There's been a lot of them. Right? We see this early church explosion in the first century. We see the great movement of God right now in the Middle East. Many Muslims, who many would consider those people who had never come to faith, are coming to faith. Last 40, 50 years in China, we've seen this explosion of Christian growth. But the Jesus movement of the late 1960s and the early 1970s is probably one of my favorite movements of God, definitely in recent history. And it started by way of one church's willingness, Calvary Chapel, to open the door to those who were considered to be, who had never come to Christ, who were beyond salvation. It was those people, right? Those people would never turn to God. And they were completely different than anybody that was in church. And so they opened the doors to the hippies. And a Christian explosion, the Jesus movement, started in Southern California among the hippies, those people. People that come to church in jeans, can you believe it? Crazy. Without shoes on. It was radical. It's interesting, just a couple months ago, we had a, a comment based on one of our social media posts. And somebody said, I would never go to a church where the pastor wears skinny jeans. Just to be clear, I'm not wearing skinny jeans. <laughs> I wouldn't either. Let's... But what it took for this, God used a church with a willingness to open its doors to those people and a couple men who were willing to risk it all. Lonnie Frisbee, one of the guys that God used to really ignite this movement, said, God is even saving the hippies, those people. This movement has a special place in my heart for many reasons, but my dad, who just really ingrained in life in the 70s and 80s, the biker lifestyle in Southern California, would often go to church. The only church he ever felt comfortable at was Calvary Chapel Church because there really wasn't a judgment there about what you wore, what you looked like. They invited everyone, all y'all, to come. Despite what your baggage and background is, come the way you are and experience the one who changes everything. It's the one, Jesus. And they weren't soft in doctrine. They were soft in their traditions. Hold tradition lightly, doct doctrine tightly. It's interesting, as I was thinking through this this week, I, had a, I was sharing the gospel with one guy, Outside Panera, because that's where gospel conversations happen, apparently, outside Panera. And as I was talking to him, he, he was a professing Christian after some time. But he's really focused on end times. Like, Jesus is coming. I'm like, yeah, he is. Seems like he's coming soon. I would agree. Things are getting pretty bad. He says a lot of people are going to be kind of, you know, left behind, essentially. It's true. He says, uh, the, he makes specific mention of the, his words, homosexuals and gays. So trying to clarify, I said, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, everyone who rejects Jesus and accepts their own godness, right, will be judged because God is just. He judges sin. And so everyone who doesn't have forgiveness of sin in Christ Jesus alone will not inherit eternal life. And he's like, yeah, but especially the homosexuals and gays. And it wasn't a time to debate. But as I was hearing this conversation, I'm wondering, as I think about what people groups or groups of people are those people to us that we're afraid to open our doors to or that we're afraid to go to? Could that be a group of people for us? 
I pray it's not. There is no one that's ever been created that's beyond saving. I think we need to resist that temptation to put up barriers and walls that God did not put up or plan. There's an awareness that we need to have. This is one of the awareness of our temptations to show favoritism. But broadly speaking, biblically, we see two types of hypocritical habits that we need to be aware of. One, what you're saying is not what you're showing. That's probably the most familiar, right? What you're saying is not what you're showing. Jesus continually got on the religious leaders, that's the scribes and Pharisees, for being hypocrites. Constantly hypocrites. One time quoting Isaiah 29, 13 to them, which says, The Lord said, These people approach me with their speeches to honor me with lip service, yet their hearts are far from me. And what we see is hypocrisy is a habit of the heart. Jesus called the religious leaders wolves in sheep's clothing, whitewashed tombs. I mean, their appearance on the outside was very religious and kept together, but inside they were dead and dangerous. They were not practicing what they preached. It's funny, as I was thinking about my own personal hypocrisy, it's never been so apparent than in my parenting. Especially, I can go on for hours with this, but one instance specifically. Has anyone ever taught their child to drive? Oh my goodness. So here I am teaching my child, all the rules of the road, right? Proper distance, speed limit, proper hand positioning, turn signals, no distraction. When just a day prior, right, I'm driving with my knee 10 miles per hour over the speed limit, messing on my phone while eating cereal. You know what I'm saying? Like, But to be clear, following Jesus yet falling short occasionally is not hypocrisy. It is humanity. There's a difference. We're all flawed people on this side of forever. Which leads to the second point that we need to be aware of when it comes to hypocrisy. Looking down on flawed people while we ourselves are flawed people. This is a danger that we all have. When it comes to sin, we're amazing at evaluating others, but miserable at measuring ourselves. And this heightens, I believe, our hypocritical habits. There's a condition known as illusionary superiority. It means that majority of people think they measure higher on about every type of level than they actually do, which creates a barrier in realizing that we all have a sin problem. So I'd like to go through a little exercise. We're going to do that again this morning. And we can raise our hands, so I'm just going to go and let that go. So let me ask you this. Anyone ever told a lie? Yeah, anyone ever check that box? I've read the terms and conditions. Yeah, liars. Exodus 20, 16 says, do not give false testimony. Anyone ever been angry with someone? This morning. <laughs> Jesus says in Matthew 5, you've heard it that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. How about this? Anyone ever have a lustful thought? Let me see. We're not so quick to raise our hands on that one. Huh? Jesus again, Matthew 5 says, But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in, a, 
his heart. So let's make sure I'm reading the room correctly. We're a gathering of lying, angry murderers. Good to know, right? Good to know who you're gathering with. Welcome to the Way Church. James 2.10 says, Forever keeps the entire law, and yet stumbles at one point, is guilty of breaking them all. And so when we come to law, we need to see, uh-oh, we're in trouble. What we see in Peter is Peter's actions were both unchristian and contrary to the gospel. And as a Christian brother, the Apostle Paul corrects the sin that Peter was in. Look at verse 14. It says, But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, If you who are a Jew live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And yet because we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Jesus Christ. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. Peter's hypocrisy activity was not only painful for the people around him, but what we see here was also persuading people to join him. So Paul steps in, bringing caring correction to the actions that were contrary to the gospel by reminding Peter of the gospel itself. And what we need to remember is the gospel itself is the great equalizer, the division demolisher, segregation smasher, barrier breaker. So the gospel does, because it reminds her that we are all sinners in need of a Savior, all of us. There is no status. We're all in the same sin boat. And it was sinking without a Savior, Jesus Christ. Which is the power that we see in Romans 3.23 and 24, which says, For all, that's a lot of people, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They, being all the sinners, are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So how are we justified? By God's grace, by faith alone, in Christ alone. Because we all have this sin issue. This is important. Because when it comes to sin, we like to rack and stack sin, and we like to say this sin is more severe than this sin, and maybe not this sin, and like a little white lie is not the same as murdering, and maybe consequentially, maybe not. But right standing before God, it's the same. Does that make sense? That would lead us to say, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. But there's only one sin that's unforgivable. Only one. The sin of unbelief. That's it. Meaning, if you still have breath in your lungs, you still have time to repent and believe. And that's God's grace. And when we think about those people who were beyond saving, it's interesting, if we're honest with ourselves, many of us were once those people to someone. I know I was. Previous lifestyle before God just completely changed me and wrecked me. There's many people who I was that person to that would never come to faith, who would never accept Christ, could never change. The Apostle Paul is one of those people. To all the Christians at one point. He was ravaging the church, arresting, persecuting, killing Christians until God stepped in and radically saved him by this radical encounter on the Damascus Road by Jesus himself. 
So the Paul writes about himself in 1 Corinthians 15, 10. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. That's the only thing that changed in his life. Jesus. Jesus is the one that turns rags to riches, sinners to saints, enemies to error. Jesus does this. This is important. This is why the church, when it's truly functioning as a church, the Christian community is so attractive to many. The church is the only place where differences make no difference. At least it should be. The church is the only place where differences make no difference. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. That's us. We're all messed up, but only by the grace of God we are who we are. Which leads us to verse 17. But if we ourselves are found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ, is Christ then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild those things that I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. For the law that I died to, for through the law I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Simply, your works don't produce faith, your faith produces works. In other words, right activity for God does not produce right relationship with God. It's by faith alone. Any other avenue or method that you're trying to combine with faith, then Christ died for nothing. Whether it's baptism, is it baptism and faith? Then Christ died for nothing. Is it baptism and going door-to-door? Then Christ died for nothing. Is it baptism and serving at the church? Then Christ died for nothing. It's not and anything, or Christ died for nothing. Do we understand that? It's by faith. That's so important. So that means you only have to clean yourself up before coming to Christ. You have your drug addictions? Come to Christ. You're an abuser? Alcoholic? Pornography? Bring your garbage with you and come to Christ. You can't clean yourself up enough. And I feel like I say this every week because I don't think we can hear it enough. Because every morning when you come to church, I bet there's a temptation of, I'm not even worthy to be here. Or when you want to spend time with the Lord, I'm not even worthy to do this. And the one aspect is true. We're all sinners, but God said you're worthy because of Christ Jesus and your faith in Him. And so you come with your garbage and let Him do the changing. He is the change maker. When we come to the law, which he keeps pointing out to is the law in the Bible are these lists that God gives his people of to-dos and not-to-dos. And they're really gracious. They're really guarding for his people to point them to him. But the point was the law was not meant to be a map. It's not a checklist. Like, if you do these things, I'll get to the destination of heaven. The point was the law was meant to be a mirror saying, you can't. You can't. But God will. In Jesus, living the perfect life that we cannot live, but we're expected to. And died the death that we were called to, supposed to do because of our sin, so we wouldn't have to. On the cross, it is finished. And then rose on the third day saying, payment accepted. So that everyone who would believe has eternal life. And that life starts at the moment you do believe. For anyone. 
So when we come to the law, when we see our sin, it should cause us to pause, to say, uh-oh. Isaiah 59, 2 says, Your iniquities are separating you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so he does not listen. Sin is a problem. And it's uncurable. And we're all helplessly, hopelessly stuck in it if it weren't for the grace of God in Christ Jesus. We all have this sin problem. So what do we do with it? 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's so healthy when we come to times like this or when God reveals sin in our lives that maybe we wouldn't even know that we're there. Maybe we've shown favoritism. Maybe we've shown some hatred. Maybe we have some lustful thoughts that wouldn't even occur to us that we were having. Maybe we're talking down to people, treating people as less than. Maybe those things that we didn't even know coming in here, but God showed you that this morning. It's time to repent. Say, I'm sorry, Lord, change me, because I don't like what I'm doing, because I know it displeases you. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. But this promise that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, are those who have professed faith in Jesus. If you have not put your faith in Jesus, this promise is not for you. And this is the urgency of the gospel. Because without Jesus, we're all helplessly, hopelessly stuck in our sin for eternity. We've talked about before, hell is a literal place that wasn't meant for you. It was meant for the devil and his angels, right? Devils and his henchmen. But the point is, for all who rebel. And that's every sinner ever. We've chosen our own ways. We've all went astray. But you don't have to stay in that condition. So if you're here or listening, you don't have to stay in the condition of being separated from God. God stepped in to give you the gift of eternal life. And it's up to you to receive it by believing. And it's so interesting to me because I can talk to people that have a hard time believing and we can reason things forever. I can point them to the Bible. I can point them to resources outside the Bible that continues to prove the Bible is reliable. And yet they still can't believe. At some point, you have to come to grips. Are you God or is there a God that you are designed to know and to be known by? That's our choices. Like Jesus said to Peter, who do you say that I am? So that's my question to us this morning. Who do you say Jesus is? So the question that we started with, are you a hypocrite? The activity of hypocrisy and being an actual hypocrite are two very different things. Failing to follow Jesus perfectly isn't hypocrisy, it's humanity. Calling yourself a Christian, not actually being a Christian, is hypocrisy. So where do you stand today? What does God do in your life this morning? What is God showing you in just short time together as we focus on him and as, we're, as we sing praises do we see how amazing he is and how much do we need him? Are we still in this condition to say, you know what, I'm pretty good. I'm doing pretty good on my own. I've been praying that God softens our hearts to see our sin and the beauty of our Savior. And for those who have yet to come to faith, that today is a day of your salvation. Hebrews 2.10 says, Jesus is a source of salvation through his sufferings. He suffered in our place so we don't have to. Paying the debt that we couldn't pay. 
so that everyone, anywhere, no matter your background, your creed, your people group, can come to him by faith alone, by God's grace alone. And so I'm going to invite our worship band back up and we're going to respond. We're going to respond to what God's doing. I'm going to plead with you to humble yourselves and consider what God may be showing you this morning. You want to see revival start happening? It starts with humbling ourselves, laying down our pride and humbling ourselves. I desire for a movement of God like we've seen so many times throughout history. But it takes for us to humble ourselves. It starts with us. It starts right here in this place. So can you be so humble to ask God, show me the sin I didn't even know I was in. Reveal areas of my life where I have fallen short. I have went my own way. And then respond to what he shows you. Maybe for the first time you've realized, I have known a lot, known a lot about Jesus, but actually have missed Jesus. Or maybe you're finally done making excuses of why you can't believe. And you desire to have that life. Now is the time of your salvation. And for the Christian, now is the time to remember your salvation. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to ask you to respond. Then the band's going to sing. And so maybe your response is singing praises and worship to God because he's worthy. But maybe for some of you, Maybe you just need to sit there and pray and do business with God for what he's laying on your heart. Repent. Not caring what people are thinking around you, but caring more about your heart posture before the Lord. Let's bring our hearts in a way that's pleasing and honoring to him because that matters more than anything else in our lives. We're going to have a prayer team to the side. We'd love to pray with you, pray for you. But I ask you to respond to what God is showing you this morning. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for bringing us here this morning. We thank you for the goodness of your grace and reflecting on how amazing your love is that you chose to die for us even while we were enemies, rejecting, rebelling against you. Father, right now I just ask that you reveal any areas of sin that we may be even unaware of. Reveal any areas of sin that we are aware of but refuse to repent of. Lord, show us areas that maybe we've shown favoritism. Maybe we've seen people as less than. Maybe we've even judged people as people beyond being forgiven. Help us to remember the gospel and the condition we were in before you came in and saved us. Lord, I ask that you continue to shape our heart to want more of you, to fall more in love with you as we reflect on your amazing love that you have for us. Father, we thank you for who you are, what you're doing, and what you've done. We just ask that you lead us by the power of your Holy Spirit right now in this place to respond in the way that's pleasing to you. And we pray this all in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. 
If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.